spookiest time of the year, there are a few guidelines all ghosts and goblins should follow. Always stay on sidewalks. Never go to a stranger's house. And never go out alone. Welcome to 31 for 31, episode 6. Almost a week in into our 31-day movie playlist of the perfect Halloween build-up films to get to the 31st night of that month, the all-holy Halloween. Today we're talking about a very spooky, very foggy, very gray, very pumpkin-y little 1799 set classic tale called Sleepy Hollow. Constable Ichabod Crane, sent from New York to investigate murder in Sleepy Hollow. How much of your superiors explained to you? Only that the three were slain in open ground, their heads severed from their bodies. I'm Cody Mason, running the point on this one today, joined by... Chris Boniello. And Jamie Lansdowne. Happy to be here. Day six. Good to look at you uh, in your heads, not just your... uh, nearly headless or headless bodies so trying to keep mine uh, unrolled yeah that's the tagline that broke them all i think it like the one two punch of 98 99 taglines of size does matter and heads will roll really are yep. from godzilla and then this like that's this it. is when people were like okay <laughs> like we got this we can make this happen we can get some shot glasses sold and it was always like a Taco Bell ad that just ended with that. And people were like, okay, I'm going to go see that now. Yeah, I should go to Taco Bell, I guess, and eat human flesh. I don't know. They were lying because a lot of heads rolled. Almost exclusively rolled. I mean, yeah, if, if truer words, you know, size did matter in Godzilla and golly did heads roll in this movie. And yeah, I feel like this is a movie that if you look at it in the big bc to ad moment in tim burton's career i think a lot of people mention you know superman lives kind of falling through and him going from being this hollywood golden boy of you know being this wonderkind and all this kind of stuff to this kind of getting a middling reaction and not being beloved in its time even though it made some money made a lot yeah it's you know against a fairly big budget for him and all that's great but it's kind of received as not camp enough while not being scary enough and kind of not being enough of one thing by a lot of people. I think it exists in this happy middle with some fun moments that would be much better appreciated kind of now, you know, and I think like it's getting a nice revival of like just being able to deal with a lot of these things. So I think that aren't necessarily big horror moments or big action moments. And it's trying to accomplish kind of neither. And that kind of, played into the reception at the time. We're going to try to apologize a bit for society to Tim Burton saying that this is a really good crystallized example of kind of the spookiness and fearsome moments, but also fun and excitement that really makes it like a true Halloween movie. I think it fits really well into this Halloween pantheon. And I think it just makes for a pretty fun movie altogether that, of course, looks really, really, really good, which I think is what main main uh, positive note people have to say about it with uh, 
Lubeski's cinematography. Chivo! Real good. Literally the goat. He's the goat. So I think that that's uh, something that, just to kick it off, that I'll probably tie in a couple times. I thought a lot about another movie that's similar of the same year as a point of comparison of ways that both movies work, but, you know, can just take two different roads. You've got this revitalizing a classic story. And similarly, you've got the mummy in the same year revitalizing a classic story. Mummy playing fully into camp. Mummy playing fully into action, fully into a sense of putting the hero first and contending with the villain versus this being something where you can really just kind of play along with the fact that this is an unstoppable force and we should all be just afraid and try to fix a mystery, but we're not really an active protagonist fighting back against something, which really, I think, plays into the spooky factor a lot more when you have something like the the Hessian mercenary of the Headless Horseman. So anyway, to dive in a little bit more, I think we should kick it off with a little, you know, a little bit about what Johnny Depp's up to, which I'm not going to call him Ichabod Crane. Ichabod Crane is just as recognizable of a name as Johnny Depp, honestly, in American lore. But this is just Johnny Depp, you know, um, playing, I think, a good version of this character you know it could have been Liam Neeson it could have been Brad Pitt even um in the casting decisions and Daniel Day-Lewis was mentioned which yeah you know made me be like whoa this could have been a totally different movie. I don't know would have been that. very serious you know taking like a very serious Sherlock Holmes turn of solve the mystery and I'm gonna bring modern methods into this and all that now he's he's just kind of like a dandy and he's snobby at first He's, but mainly he's Fox Mulder, 1799. Then becomes more of a scaredy cat, too, yeah. which is like a fun mix. Like he spends half of this movie fainting. And I, I think it provides this fun mix of he does accomplish the goal set out for him in the movie. Like he, he does solve this mystery and kind of save the day and save the girl in this awkward way because she was like christina ricci's like 19 in this movie so girl is the right word yeah um but he does it in this like very un un brendan fraser in the mummy type level of agency you know not this like i'll just punch all the minions and get down to stab in the mummy kind of deal it's more of working around he mentions roddy mcdowell as an influence the roddy mcdowell from basically like fright night which i think is yep. pretty apt where he's capable but goofily unsure of himself and being like, I guess I have to do this, even though I don't really want to do this. Yeah. And like not brave or cool enough to let what's presented in front of him not startle him or blow his cool at all. You know, yeah. About Brendan Fraser just being like, we got mummies now. Let's run, you know, which is fine and <laughs> fine. But this is truly like when he is beholding beheadings and he is looking at these evil things coming out of a tree he's reacting like a normal person would and not like a hero would you know which makes it fun as he's dealing with these a lot of gross situations he's got to prove christopher lee who gets way high billing wrong small roll a lot of butter gives him his mission before he's even credited in the title <laughs> sequence and never shows up again no you know i was like oh shit christopher lee's in this no he was yeah you he was in it him to like <laughs> play the the yeah. head or something if this was a no, scooby-doo mystery back. he would come back <laughs> no, no no luck but well he's uh i mean i love that they have him because it's just, the whole movie is such a homage to these b hammer horror movies that and it's a who's who of those you know those actors and those shakespearean actors yeah. they're basically like all right who, who who's available to come here and do this film to fulfill this sort of like yeah reference 
cornucopia, if you will. Between <laughs> Hammer, Star Wars, and Harry Potter, yeah. entire cast. Take <laughs> yeah. This is going to be a new Disney Plus show. And you got Ray Park and Palpatine. You got Johnny Michael Depp Gam- was in a Harry Potter, right? Yeah, you Michael know? Gambon. Yeah, Johnny Depp is, isn't he Grin- Grindelwald? at one yeah. point. You got Michael Gammon and he's Dumbledore. Casper. Miranda Starship Richardson Trooper. is Rita Skeeter, you know? Like. <laughs> Casper Van Deen's the only one that really, you know. We can add Starship Troopers into yeah. the crossover. Yeah. I'm a Dean fiend, man. I love the Dean. So, but let's talk a little bit more about the quote unquote frights in the atmosphere, I guess. And that's the stuff that it does best. Taking a really, really bare bones short story and making it something like a even an hour and 45 minute movie takes a lot of conspiracy weaving. You know, basically the, the whole point of little Sherlock Holmes style Ichabod Crane going to upstate New York from his native New York City after talking to Christopher Lee is to solve a series of beheadings that are believed to be done by this mystical headless horseman. All of the town, you know, leaders with well, great it's, it might seem t- like you uh, you need to know who the notary is, but you really don't. Yeah, you know, all the... In these these town leaders. (laughs) Town leaders, I was... My very next thought was just, everybody's got a great title. Magistrate. Yeah. Notary. We've got great aristocratic nonsense titles that basically are just like the who's who of like, all right, we'll throw you in there and you'll have an office and a quill. You know, like, whatever. You Um, get a wig, you get a wig. Yeah, so we got a series of those old men who just seem to kind of be involved, want to solve this mystery, but all kind of attach it to this... Ancient story, you know, ancient being the the wrong word, old enough story, because literally it's like 25 years in the past at this point to the American Civil War, where a Hessian mercenary was killed. And through all of this fun, cursy, head separated from body type nonsense, this uh, Christopher Walken with sharpened teeth figure of the headless horseman. Yeah, it's not the Civil War, though. Oh, okay. The, the, uh, the American... <laughs> The American and English um, United Kingdoms Civil War known as the American <laughs> Revolution to most people. Yeah, that would be a nice, interesting take, you know, add some different dimensionality to it. Uh, anyway, so Hessian. Mis- yeah, I think the Hessians were uh, a little out of play by the uh, 1860s. Yeah. So that, you know, we have uh, this assumption that this is our guy. But of course, our very, you know, pragmatic and empiricist. Detective in Johnny Ichabod Crane, Johnny Crane, I'll call him Johnny Crane, um, has kind of doubts and, you know, sees that these people are suspicious, thinks it's one of these older men, meets their wives, one of their daughters. Hey, what's up? Very too young Christina Ricci starts to kind of involve himself in exhuming bodies, figuring things out on a base level before more heads start rolling right in front of him. But what were you saying about the the reach with reach, Jamie? I think she was 19 when she made the, but she just comes off looking like such a kid. I don't know if it's just the wig or the dyed eyebrows. She just looks like a doll and it creeps me out. Wednesday Adams was like a day ago. <laughs> Probably pretty period accurate, unfortunately. And um, yeah, it always kind of like creeped me out. And it is, I mean, going back to the original story, I think, I don't know if you guys have I've read it recently or any time, but basically everything involving the plot of this is totally the invention of screenwriter at Andrew Kevin Walker. Yeah, I grew up not too far from Sleepy Hollow, and so we had to read it in school and then watch like the Disney cartoon. And I remember for some reason not 
liking this movie when I was younger and saw it because it didn't stick with those things that we repeated all the times and had to know. But it's similar to the real Sleepy Hollow in, you, in which you just drive through and you're like, oh, wait, that's it. Yeah. And that's how I that's kind of well, how I feel I, about the I old like stories. This now. invention a lot more, <laughs> even if yeah. like there's a complicated conspiracy that unleashes this creature man being on all these people just the idea of this hessian mercenary in general being this bloodthirsty person who goes out for vengeance is already better than what's presented in the short story which kind of isn't even supernatural necessarily it is implied that the casper van dean character of it all is uh just making it up so anyway i liked how they they did make an effort to actually still connect they it. They play around yeah. with Casper playing wise before he gets cut in half. So <laughs> yeah, I think the, the, you know, it starts to play out kind of procedurally, which those are the moments that don't go particularly well, but all of these magistrates and notaries across the board, your Michael Gambins, Jeffrey Joneses are dropping like flies. Uh, heads are rolling as, you know, Ichabod's kind of and figuring out good. in front of a, oh yeah, they're, they look good doing it and they look good getting killed and the kills like look just good. from the start this was some of the best heads fake heads and like decapitations and gore i feel like i've seen in a long long time it didn't have cg blood or anything it was very tactile it looked really good. very good very splat good thick blood <laughs> just i mean they don't hold back rich from the first scene you kind of expect the like the cut the cutaway, like the, the cutaway the yeah. cutaway but it's like there's almost never a cutaway it's always just brutal I mean, and that's when i was in that first one you're I was yeah. just like oh and some of the cutaways the movie i remember some of the quote-unquote cutaways we'll get to are even more disturbing in the implication so i think they do it for max impact of upsetting kills and i think at this point you know you get johnny crane buying into everything and the whole rest of the movie is really just a play out of him seeing why these things are happening and why you know, these people are being targeted. There's an elaborate plan going on. But in the meantime, it really is just kind of this nice scenery chewing of this one town, this one field and this one road, basically, which, you know, it's a half more than half practical environment that was created. So they really milk a lot of this <laughs> for, for all it's worth and use miniatures and stuff like that. But the fog budget was out of control. Yeah, that's half the budget. So I feel like they really, there's this nice lived in sense that the pieces you do see are really tactile is a good word, but you know, just lived in nice and well-constructed, whether it's the bridge with the, the covering or anything else really sells these moments where like the horseman comes and starts to swipe on some people starts to have some nice moments of actual action that just end in grisly horror instead of having a, a fun action scene it just turns into he's just going to kill anybody he wants to kind of feelings and i think that's what works a lot it's just kind of like when the head the swordsman enters the scene it's really it's over you know like the dread is just there you know like any sense to run away is just kind of gone it's just basically like who's gonna die at a certain point until the very end of the movie he is a straight up terminator in the film and i mean i think it's you know if you talk about the headless horseman as sort of an icon of i guess american folklore like he's probably the most well-known examples correct and I mean, he's I mean, actually one of the earliest American ones. Yeah, certainly one of the earliest American ones. And him and Rip Van Winkle. And there's been, you know, several adaptations, but it's actually somewhat surprising that the Headless Horseman has not been like abused as much as you would expect. Like, I know there was like a TV show, like that's probably the last time he showed up. 
in there's like a Fox show with like a sexy Ichabob crane, like living in the modern world and like the Illuminati and like the Headless Horseman that was connected to it. <laughs> for another pod. Yeah, yeah for like another pod. I have not this watched is, this, is, this has the, the maximum the amount of conspiracy. Is the Headless Horseman Q? I haven't finished the HBO doc yet. Don't. It's uh it's a real mess. But yeah, speaking of conspiracies, this is as much conspiracy as I could deal with, because instead of it just being one guy who, you know, had a grudge or anything like that, it's it's land dispute. It's, you know, babies with with uh, I still don't rights and understand errors. what was it's, going on. You know, I, I have the whole chain written down and I do not want to dishonor the actual positives of this movie by burdening it with ex- explanation. Really, it just cuts down to people are marked for death. Who's got the who's got the skull in their hands, who's kind of controlling all of this and spinning this web? And that's what the whole push is. But the more important moments in between are just kind of this, you know, fun character work that's very Burton-y that starts with, you know, Johnny, Johnny Crane, of course, just being charming in his own way, kind of a mix of being kind of quirky and not good at his job, but also proper and superior to some of these people and it works well in in certain scenes he doesn't have a lot of chemistry with christina ricci but he does have a good amount of chemistry with you know a character that would be thrown in a different movie the uh young masbeth character whose father dies and just out of just not having anything else to do follows crane around um you know a role that would be just like a just token young kid helping out role in any other movie but in a movie like this someone you actually worry about because children can die in this movie (laughs) and someone who actually has like a fun kind of interplay with him so it kind of amps up even more of that kind of through a child's eyes halloween element of it how he kind of sees his town's you know urban legend start to play out in front of him um really works well and i think that's a great an undersold performance in a group of masterclass performers i guess speaking of masterclass performers the headed version of the horseman is played by christopher walken doing amazing but sharpened teeth crazy contact lenses and just the wildest hairdo just and he's just screaming he does not have a single line in the film it's it's (laughs) growling and screaming and snarling it's amazing kind of takes you out because you see it and it's like oh christopher walken is that on sourceman okay but he is so like bonkers in his performance and his makeup that it actually helps because it's terrifying whatever movie he thinks he's in he is just like out of control in this yeah movie. yeah and he's and he's prepared to like kill two young girls immediately yeah yeah and i i just feel like at this point in his career, too, like he can be in fucking hairspray and jungle book <laughs> now because of the the kind of oh, it's just a good old Christopher Walken, you know. Like this was a little early days for him to be. This is still only less than a decade away from King of New York, you know. So it's like there's a weird uh, phase in his career to take. He was this flexing kind of a little thing. bit. I think this was a flex. Yeah. And I appreciate, too, that he shares the role with Ray Park, who's Darth Maul, you know, and that is a very fun and physical performance where, like, the actual knife and sword play of this works only because it's done by, I think, the actual whole team from Phantom Menace, I think, just plopped over here in terms of those sword fights and everything. But, you know, the actual cutting of heads and 
clink 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 sword play is is done in this really brutal and believable and not clean way that makes it you know very sellable that i mean they give him would be doing he gets this. a personality like you know without his face he still has a personality he doesn't just ride up and swipe like he's doing this out of out of a real sense of like glee in the killing and just like yeah when you see him he alive he's like loving every minute killing him and loving every minute of it you know he just carries himself like no one can stop me you're not getting in my way when he's trying to kill Casper Van Dien and, and Johnny Crane gets in the way and he just stabs him to lift him out of the way. Like, great example of just like, I am an unstoppable juggernaut force in this movie of darkness. Like, just don't even mess with me. And I, I just love how, you know, him holding a jack-o'-lantern or just being on the horizon is just always met with characters looking each other in the eyes and being like, who's gonna who's gonna die you know like, it's just like grim reaper showed up at your door but i think yes we we talked about you know the, the city the, or the little town the you know the the nice fields and the path that people get chased down but the tree is the real like image of this movie you know just the image of the tree and then the actual fleshiness of when it's cut into with an axe and blood comes out and there's actual flesh and viscera that you have to get in and out as a portal to hell probably one of my favorite horror movie portal to hell things just because it feels like it's birthing something it's so gross but also so gleefully fun to see yeah christopher walken just eject out of that thing this is a hundred percent the feel of halloween for me as soon as the movie started like oh this is what it's like when you're walking around the neighborhood the leaves are starting to get crinkly. It's getting a little dark. The sun's setting early. Like this is that feeling. I'm always waiting for some reason in my random block in Poughkeepsie, New York, growing up to like turn around and just see someone on a horse with no head coming right at me and be like, yep, here, here we go. This is when it happens. Like that's that's the feel I get from this movie. It's a wonderful little theatrical over the top kind of Halloween movie. Apparently it was supposed to be like a very low budget slasher film. And this guy, I think his, his name is Kevin Yeager. I be pronouncing his name incorrectly, but he's like a makeup effects designer. And he like got in touch with Andrew Kevin Walker. He did Walker. Uh, Freddy Krueger's makeup. Yeah, he did Freddy Krueger's makeup. And he had been directing some episodes of like Tales from the Crypt. And I guess he got in touch with Andrew Kevin Walker, who, if people don't know, is like a very dark, disturbed individual. <laughs> I'm just for those, saying. <laughs> for those few years, it was like seven, Sleepy Hollow. Like if if you needed a body, just right. no offense to him personally, but I'm just making a joke based on yeah, eight millimeter and seven. I think he would take no offense to this characterization. So I guess they tried to make this a film, and then it you know like who knows what that version of this looks like. But I think as it stands, it's kind of like a gift for genre film fans like ourselves. I would love the the slasher film version of this as well. But I like that we are able to get Hammer-inspired, theatrical, fully cinematic experience. Yeah, it's like true craftsmanship. Yeah, there's just something to it that I think is interesting. And as much as like I have some quibbles with the the conspiracy elements, which are just ridiculously convoluted, (laughs) and a few other things like when we brought up the witch, like that scene in itself is just... She's no haggis. Let's be real. She's yeah, Ed Harley. She That's the haggis of tissue. Yeah, those two movies. Right. H- haggis is awesome, and this which is just yeah. the scene itself is just like she's in one scene, or I guess kind of in two scenes, yeah. but it's just like completely unnecessary. It feel it does feel like one of the moments though where you almost get to 
true horror or or scariness and then it just it doesn't go there but it starts to belly flops yeah it starts to build up there but i do i do love the hard cut him walking out the front door of the kid <laughs> yeah. like all right let's all right, go well, like, yeah. okay yeah one of the if few you, times if you're not he gonna, doesn't faint yeah. in this movie <laughs> it was almost like one of those perfectly timed scream where it just like cuts out of a scream like it was about to get there it wasn't really going to sell it until they just were able to like pull the rug out yeah, and, it was it was a Johnny, Johnny Deppism Depp that. that he yeah. could sell, you know. But it's fun. I had I had a lot of fun. Yeah, the reason all. that I feel that way too is just kind of like I think the idea of something being a genre movie, um, without it being a movie of a specific genre, is kind of important nowadays. That maybe there was less of appreciation for net then that you kind of had to pick a lane, and you know, especially if you were mashing genres, it was like okay, Army of Darkness. We know that it's just we're, we're going to laugh like we're not going to expect it to be that scared. But this is like it kind of challenges you a little bit. And it's like we're going to have a pretty consistent tone that's weird and uneasy. You're never supposed to just fully dive in to be comfortable and laughing and deaths will upset you and like not just be funny you know, at certain times. I think like one of my favorite scenes of just like the brutality is like the Killian's residence scene where dad gets killed and in other movies you think like the mom and baby would escape okay then we see the mom get her head cut off and eyes roll into the gap between floorboards so her hiding child can see then you'd say okay usually the kid would escape okay that's a little more brutal than usual no 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 then we the headless horseman breaks through kills the kid and walks out gleefully stuffing their heads in bags and like that's the kind of thing about this that's like okay we can laugh about you know, the harpooning or the uh, Michael Gammon's character or amazing somebody getting their head spun around. But like, that's a brutal, just like upsetting thing to happen that didn't have to necessarily be built up with a ton of suspense or anything. He just burst down the door and just fucking railed on this family in a very just concise and like Terminator style way that I don't know, leaves it leaves a different impression than just doing something, just playing up to genre conventions of a specific ilk of like, okay, he's got to be Michael Myers and creep up on you or something. Yeah. I mean, until you learn those rules of who controls the horseman, anyone is kind of free game here. So you're not really sure. Maybe he will kill Christina Ricci. Maybe he will kill another character. And then you find out, which is a little half-baked, that Christina Ricci can do some spells and uh, can put some protection on people, which I'm like, where the fuck is that movie? Because I would definitely watch Christina Ricci doing some spells and being like a young witch in that some town. Some good old, like, you know, under the bed diagrams of, of uh, little circles and stuff. Which we don't know if has actually has any effect, by the way, right? Like, there's no guarantee that any of that worked. Other than I think, her being like, creepy and like certain scenes where Johnny Depp could have been killed, you can kind of shrug and be like, I guess if I was saying, why did the headless horseman not kill him? Maybe that's why. But yeah, there's no like probative evidence that he like swings and his his sword gets stuck in a force field or something like that. So, yeah. Is that know. the sequel? He just studies her now in New York City and they do spells and he tries to prove her that they're wrong. Yeah, I mean, Headless and Horseman he could have come back. I'm just saying. He's, then he ends up just putting her in, in an Iron Maiden. I mean, she was wearing crazy. a Beetlejuice get up at the end. So I was I was thinking they were setting up some sort of Yeah, sequel. some connected universe there. But yeah, I think the Iron Maiden is a good point, too, of just kind of, you know, another thing that adds some text to this movie, the flashback scenes of 
Johnny Crane with his mom and and how that ends up or in an Iron Maiden and how that trauma kind of flows into his character. Like everything's done here with love. I think even the conspiracy feeds into like these middle aged and older men do have particular personalities and styles of greed and stuff like that. So all the character work is really good. But I think the problem starts to become when if I'm in a movie where the next scene is going to be Casper Van Dien having a sword fight with the headless horseman, <laughs> do I really care about this person's particular lust with another person's wife two summers ago? It's like, okay, let's move on. Like wrap it up. Like let's keep going. And so it gets bogged down a little bit in that respect. But I mean, and I don't really care because he was a dick to Johnny Crane. Exactly. You know, anybody coming from a boy, JC, you better back off. Uh, but they do redo that cartoon scene, which is pretty awesome. Oh, with the, uh, the pumpkin, like the flaming pumpkin. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And I, I think that my overall take just going into the ending here is that my, you know, expectations watching this again was just kind of being like, oh, this is a movie that isn't scary and isn't one of Johnny Depp's like or Johnny Depp's best with Tim Burton or even Tim Burton's, you know, middle of the pack for Tim Burton. And I think like, obviously this isn't like Edward Scissorhands, but this is like truly from his mind or even Nightmare Before Christmas. But of all he the didn't things, direct that. Yeah, he did, Henry <laughs> Selleck did. And, you know, know but know. he's more important <laughs> to the creation of that than he Henry is. So first name basis but um <laughs> you know he basically like has not ne- he's only doing things now where people say what's a weird thing that got written in like 1934 let's throw Dumbo. it at let's fucking throw it at him you know like the fact that he didn't direct oz the great and powerful and it was just sam raimi is impossible to me you know like we, he gets his alice in wonderlands he gets his miss peregrines i guess later factory. but you know it, so he he just is an adaptation doctor now, which is so sad, even with things that are good, like Sweeney Todd. And I feel like this was the start of that, sadly, but it's his best matched up work. Like this is if you're going to have somebody really have that macabre gothic go crystal well and be able to take a kind of silly character and make it work in a compelling enough way while still making it fun. It's a it's a match made in heaven for me. Well, yeah. Because right afterwards, he does Planet of the Apes, and you're like, ooh, this is what happens when you just try to, like, paint Tim Burton onto something. Yeah, just, all right, uh, put Noun and Gremlin, you know, like, what do we got? Uh, <laughs> throw it at the wall. Okay, Tim Burton presents, uh, you know. I mean, I, I feel like this really, really climbed up on the list for me. I might put this even above a middle of the road burton for me i think this is oh, yeah. i think this I mean, is like, up there if we're putting beetlejuice at the top and you know or those kind of things everything that he's made in the 21st century i think would, yeah, would be you know at least having a challenge to surpass other this. than big big fish i Don't think to yeah. My yeah. Big fish. I, I like big fish a lot and and that's one of like the best adaptations of a book i feel like but that's a different podcast yeah. yeah and that's a very different style even for him you know where like he has to be grounded for most of it This got me so excited to just like see some pumpkins lit up. I 
I really enjoyed it. It felt like we were going to the old Sturbridge village or those one of those revolutionary fake towns. There's the one in like West Virginia. Yes. Jamie and, and I places. would have our own in Ohio of Yeah, the one in New the one in New England is like Sturbridge Village that my parents would bring us to or something that like this this felt uh, you know odd and fake but also very lived in and everyone was just chewing it all up that i was like i kind of want to just put on a costume and renaissance at least a wig at least get a yeah. wig going a lot of good like wigs. it just it made me ready to be to be in that world even the title alone conjures up feelings of new england colonial folktale horror you think headless horseman you think fall you think autumn Halloween, it all connects. It it just looks like wearing a light jacket, you know. Uh, <laughs> it's sweater it's, weather in Exactly. But it's such and it's such a boiling down of like the aesthetic of Halloween. Yeah. That it's it's windy and cold and there's horses galloping for some or horse hooves for some reason and like just you know, it's he's not a the headless horseman isn't this full monster, it's not this unfathomable creature. It you don't it doesn't take a lot to discern what it is. It is a man or undead man with no head. It's just slightly off. And sometimes he throws flaming pumpkins at you. Oh, yeah. It's just Wish like, you're lucky. Uh, yeah. yeah, I feel like that, you know, if you read even Rotten Tomatoes, a lot of it would be cast as like style, but no substance. And I think there's just a lot going back to something earlier, just kind of there being a much better curve for critics and viewers going into movies like this saying like, yeah, this is going to be stylistic and the substance is whatever it is, you know? And like the, the and I think there is more substance than a lot of those reviews. Oh yeah. I think like, like, if like this, I think this would be a huge hit if it came out this Halloween on Netflix or something. Right. It would like, be fucking nostalgia candy. And it's something where people just kind of have a better appreciation of, you know, how a movie can carry atmosphere and not come out of it talking about this conspiracy, but just talk about like how it made you feel and what it conjured up and how certain things were done practically or otherwise that made you feel a certain way, you know, and instead maybe the, the lens was more on, Oh, you know, Tim Burton tries to overcomplicate a classic story to fit into one of his classic overcomplicated yarns with Gothic elements. It's like, well, no, like it, he just did what he could to make a movie work that the guy from seven wrote and we love how he loves a a third act crazy pivot to have miranda richardson <laughs> be, be the one holding the head and, and changing everything and we thought that the church was going to be the finale but we got another I mean, he thing didn't that, ask what was in the the bag or yeah or what's satchel. in the tree what's in the tree so i i feel like that's Severed heads. Where, he's got a thing like, for it they, you yeah. could complain that like okay the movie could end with the church and killing children but then we don't get to see another the fun little chase down the road or going back to the tree or his face reconjuring or all that. It's like those are the moments that matter. Like the how early you get Hollow there Man CGI. Matter. Yeah, exactly. That that was a test run for the whole body. Which I'm glad they cut away before it got to the point where I was like, uh, this isn't uh, looking right. The sinewy are not connected. Okay, we're okay, it's Christopher Walken again. Um so, and I, you know, I feel like it's in the 1999 to 2003 kind of ended with Hulk range of like where CGI was really uninsulting um, most of the time um, and tastefully done rather than overdone. So I think from that element, too, it just all looks 
very purposeful and crafted rather than just kind of like eh, throw some fucking blood effects in like a tree that's way over crazy or anything like all of that is just done with a certain set of intentions that I respect and I feel like would be again like the type of things that you'd have on your checkbox now for a movie like this if it were coming out easy easy pick to go down real smooth and because we've gone quite a long time now uh, i just want to mention that you know it's very similar in that same way to trick or treat <laughs> yeah I, I think like if you have to good it- you got good gore and kills you got some fun you got some atmosphere i don't really care the law or or reasons behind what's going on but the characters do and the characters believe it and you know relate that to each other which is it's important to me. I, I would rather have characters go off on jargon with each other and be like, okay, well, th- at least they haven't figured it out versus just saying some random single line and then I have to try to figure it out or I start making up something that I'm like, wait, the rules don't make sense in here. Like, at least have the characters tell tell each other the rules and believe in them. And it does that so well here. It's just, it, it encapsulates a lot of those elements of what makes a good thriller, horror, Halloween movie work. The big three of American horror lore you know you've got sleepy hollow's original short story you've got you know maybe pose the raven and then you've got trick or treat you know those are those are the big ones michael dautry yeah right up there the spooky trinity yeah it feels uh i mean like we said we all like this movie we all appreciate it for what it brings to the table and i also just feel like it's kind of unfairly underappreciated put this in i think you'll be pretty pleased with how it turns out it's got early Chivo too. Yeah, I mean, I mean, everything we've already we've spoken at length just about how great this movie looks. I mean, it was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Cinematography, and it, I believe, it won for like art direction. So, I mean, at yeah. least some of the if it I, came out now, I think it would have gotten a lot more. Yeah, of yeah. the Craftsman Awards for sure. And I yeah, think yeah, that's I'm like the that technically it was sort of acknowledged some great editing and it's too. it's the in it's the influence that sticks with me too of like this being a 1999 movie specifically is so great because this movie looks so crisp that you could say that this movie came out in 2011 because it's just how movies looked going into the film digital hybrid decade yeah well, this is like pre uh, Oh Brother Where Art, oh, though. Oh Brother Where Art. So this is yeah. like this is one of those last ones where it's like they made a actual chemical physical decision of how to treat the film, and you don't really get too many different test options with that. If you're gonna, you know, you got to make prints every time you're messing with something. Like if you're doing physical color chemical timing like that, and it pays off. It looks great. I mean, that blood just looks amazing. Yeah, they make it look easy. Yeah, and that's why Tim Burton movies now just kind of look like lazily desaturated rather yeah. than like desaturated with a real intention and a real you know sense of like depth to the the lack of color rather than just kind of like De- oh there was depth a sliding depth. scale like in johnny depp depp no depp? the american civil war <laughs> oh. jesus wait were there yeah. bees in this <laughs> not the bees that's another that's another episode of the podcast where we'll be watching both wicker men one night um but yeah i think that's uh that's a wrap on night six. So hopefully you've enjoyed, uh, you know, getting a little heady on this. <laughs> and there's uh, also a really I, sweet 20th anniversary Blu-ray digi pack. If you guys are still hunting for that <laughs> for your shelves, we're all here for like the shout factory and other, you know, any shout out to uh ultra HD or Blu-ray collector. It's, it's not comes. shout factory. It's just paramount, but they put I out, know, a, they kidding. put out a nice digi book. It's like white with this, with the, 
the headless horseman's on the cover. He's all made in smoke and fog. A head, a decapitated head, just spits the disc out of its mouth. <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I got to work in packaging. Ooh, they but, need to make yeah the the he- Christopher Walken head that opens up in the teeth and the disc come out between the oh, razor teeth. They should do that. If his face was on a disc, I would burn it. That's like some the ring shit. You can't play around with that. I mean, they need to. They need to re-release this with some 4K restoration and have like a McFarlane Toys version of like oh, Christopher Walken that's like $400 and like one-eighth scale. I know they made the crone into an action figure. I heard that on another on another pod about this one. So if you want to buy the want to buy the crone, give it a give it a Google. I'm sure it's selling for cheap. But speaking of crones. No, no, no Crohn's disease tie in, but I wanted to make something happen. Um, Jamie's feeling passionate about the end of this week. You know, he's going to be leading the charge for night seven. Jamie, take it away on uh, how this one might connect in a little bit. How it connects. uh, You know, we'll get into how it connects or maybe how it detours. (laughs) We'll figure it out as we go along. Thank you very much. All to say, uh, I love the next movie we're doing as a hint. Yeah. Uh, Heads, Heads won't roll, but the body count. It's high. Yeah, bring your. You could say Ichabod Crane was really educated (laughs) in this one. (laughs) I I don't like that, but (laughs) you could say it. The only reason I don't like it, his name, Johnny Crane. Johnny Crane. The only thing, and we we don't even have to have this in the actual episode, but can we just talk about how the lady, the lady Crane flashbacks, like or the 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 flashbacks of. Lisa Marie. Lisa Marie, who was dating Tim Burton at the time. And this felt like a gratuitous excuse to be like, I'm going to get my girlfriend in like a weird corset spinner in some motion. Hey, those flashbacks. They found each other. Those flashbacks. Super horny flashbacks. Yeah. I mean, I guess are, they're trying to show like his hatred of religion and, you know, metaphysical things and his belief in science, but they'd never pay it off. He never goes. They never have a scene where he goes from dealing with the religious stuff to science it's just like oh here's some top-down tits in this in this crane shot and then the screenwriter really just wanted to show how a iron maiden works. they cut the iron maiden scene from eight millimeters so we had to throw it in this one yeah it <laughs> i mean there might have been one in seven i'm getting my maiden in one way or another that was the eighth said maybe we'll cut that out <laughs> maybe we'll leave it in we'll find out i mean i do love that scene in the church is like where the moment when the horseman gets to them in the church and they start talking was the point where I was like, either this movie goes too far into whatever the conspiracy is because I have no idea what the fuck is going on with the actual plotting or they're just going to have a couple characters say something and it's just going to get wild. And I'm glad that they went with option two and that the horseman didn't just circle around, couldn't get in the church. He he rides away and you get all of the characters for five minutes just giving exploitation. In this one, instead, you get the horseman saying like, wait, if I can't go in there, I can at least send a fucking spike <laughs> harpoon. Yeah, And that's after they're bonking each other on the head. Like, yeah. know. He doesn't yeah. even need to be involved. You but know? that was the moment where I was like, was I supposed to pay attention to that chart and those deeds and that like last <laughs> no. will and testament? Because that, I didn't read that any of those names. Harpoon coming in is the movie telling you, fuck that. And that's yeah, when my just... smile just got even wider. And and uh, I, I watched with Emily and she was like, she like jumped at that moment. And I was like, yes, this isn't <laughs> this. This isn't the scene where something happens and they ride away and neither of us were paying attention and have to go like, wait, so what what is going on? No, we're, we're just harpoon. Right to 
Dumbledore's chest. Yeah. Anybody who mattered in that is dead. So don't worry about it. We've got a headless horseman on the loose. <laughs> yeah. So. It's just Alrighty, fun. Well, I, yeah. Just so much fun with all of it. I, I think we've got this one being fun. And if one thing connects to the next one, I'm real excited to rewatch. I think it's going to be a super fun one as well. So come back in for night seven. Me We're too. finishing I, out the first week. I probably haven't watched the next one in the same amount of time I hadn't watched Sleepy Hollow. So I'm very excited. I think you guys will have a blast. Jamie watches it every week. <laughs> yeah. Well, tune in so that you can join Jamie's weekly calendar. We'll see you tomorrow.